This episode of Holy Cannoli has some grown-up words that might not be appropriate for little ears. You've been warned. <laughs> putting in the putting in the mints. Hopefully you don't hear the jingle jingle. <laughs> All right, you guys. Podcast addicts, strangers, friends, cannolios, cannolians, cannolers. That's a new Whoa. one. Sean Fernandez said he's a cannoler. I like it. It sounds kind of like Christmas caroler or something. Canoler. It's episode 12. We're recording this at the crack of midnight, something like that. Kids are going to school, babe. Whoa. I'm already just tired thinking about it. <laughs> My wife said, can we please record the intro to this podcast before I go to sleep? Because <laughs> I'm so tired. It's been a one long summer. It's Hasn't been it? Summer. It's been summer. We moved. We moved, changed jobs. Went through the transition, the grief, the excitement, the oh, uncertainty. Couple trips, lots of together time. Lots of together time. Lots of children aimlessly wandering around the house <laughs> asking for screens and snacks. So, th- those of you who don't have children, it's this whole challenge of how much time your kids watch tv right and you feel like a real bad parent if you have your tv on all the time so we try somewhat to monitor so we have what's called screen time it sounds so official and the kids live for screen time (laughs) they live for it and they die by it if they don't get it it's like the world has ended in there so much drama (laughs) over screen like they go boneless and there's like there's like fall to the ground like (laughs) i want screen what can i have screen I feel like there's like the theory, what if we just had screens on all the time? Would they not care? Like, would it kind of make Make them numb? It not be that big of a deal. They'd always just be watching it, though. Their eyes would be glued to the screen all the time. And I feel as if unless we made them go outside, they wouldn't know what grass and dirt is. I know. (laughs) Yeah. Well, we could do the other end of the spectrum where we have no screens ever. Mm. Then they'd hate us. And rebel. And then we would have to sneak our screens because we aren't living without <laughs> That's us, true. So. That's true. We almost need to have screen time just so we can watch the freaking TV. I know. Gosh. All right. So, you guys, you guys don't, you don't need to hear this on podcast. Yeah, addicts. that's why you can cut it off. <laughs> no, we're not going to. Because it's fun. This is a little bit of action here. This is a little bit of who the Gap of Stones are. We're in episode 12. I just uh, told my wife, so I haven't listened to episode 12 since I recorded it with my mom. This is part two. Okay. So part two. So I'm going to actually edit it uh, after we finish this intro, but you just listened to it. Mm -hmm. So what did you take from it or how can we prompt prep, prep the listeners? Um, I think first of all, kudos to you and your mom. You have such a sweet rapport. (laughs) Mm -hmm. As you guys chat and kudos to your mom as she goes into mm-hmm. kind of deeper into her story mm-hmm. um, and just is real, real. So thank you to Robin, mm. my mother-in-law yeah. rocked it. Um, and you guys do talk about suicide kind of in depth yeah. in okay. this episode. So if that's something for people mm-hmm. um, who if might, it triggers that might something, be hard, yeah. then just know that that's. A big part of this podcast. Yeah, that's good. And yeah. And then I'm just curious. I, I thought you had freshly listened to it because I wanted to hear how you were feeling mm. 
talking about all this stuff with your mom and you kind of were processing your end of it towards the end of this um, podcast is kind of your experience with your grandma. Yeah. And so I just wondered how that was for you. Mm. Well, I guess I'll find out when I, I go know. to edit it. I know. I guess you have to add that later. The interesting part is I'm meeting with someone this week to record an in-depth episode on grief of a friend who lost her husband to cancer in the same couple months of losing her son to suicide. So it's going to be a big episode that I'm really looking forward to sitting with her because she said she we met up like a month or two ago and she just said something to me about grief that really struck me that her grief was hitting her in such a way that was challenging the way she saw color. And it, that was when I was in transition of taking, you know, my next step and leaving my job. And I was like, wow, grief is so powerful. So we're gonna, yeah, we're gonna talk about that in depth, but know that if in any way you want, you might be triggered listeners with this conversation, you might need to skip this episode or just be aware if you've lost someone to suicide, we're gonna talk about that and maybe it'll be encouraging and hopefully healing mm-hmm. to you because it's been healing to me to talk about it. So, mm-hmm. all right, well, before we launch into it, I just want to make note to an event that's coming up on September 5th, Wednesday night, 2018. So if you're listening to this after September 5th, 2018, you missed it, but we are doing an event in the Bay Area called Trey's Safe Space and my friend Matt Nightingale is going to be there and Terry Smith. So episode you met my friend Terry. She talked about her son, who's gay, and how she walked through reconciliation with him and accepting him and loving him. And then my friend Matt, who came out and is living as a gay man and dealing with the challenges of life post-separation. And the, the night on September 5th is going to be talking about these things and welcoming people and LGBTQ discussions in a safe space. Trey... The guy who's actually doing it, his name is Trey Pearson. He has a very similar story to Matt, but he lived a very high-profile life as this Christian recording artist, and he had a similar thing. He came out, and then he was on The View, and his whole story went viral. He won a GLAAD award. So I'm really excited to help bring people together. I've been telling my friends who have gay children, who, who are gay, who feel as if they don't have a space to talk about these things or explore questions. And Trey's safe space is happening in Foster City, California. So if this is something you'd be interested to come, it is a free event. And we're just personally inviting you to come. So if you want more information, let us know. I'm going to make some make you do some work by Googling Trey <laughs> Pearson so you know what that's about. You can Google Trey's safe space and come to the event in Foster City, California. T-R-E-Y. You got it. Okay. Yeah. And oh, if you bought a t-shirt, they're coming. They're coming in two weeks. Thank you, guys. They uh, they We sold whatever we needed to sell. I thought we needed to sell 50. We only sold like 26. But they're coming. So that's awesome. I'm excited to wear mine. So thanks for those of you who bought it. Yeah. And you have hats. Do you have to sell those? Those are awesome. Mm, yeah, I do. But they're for Brave Maker. Because Holy Cannoli is a Brave Maker production. Yeah. Um, go to BraveMaker.com and see what kind of stuff we got going on there. We got retreats coming up. We got a film fest. And if you like the work that I'm doing, support me by clicking on donate on BraveMaker.com. But I'm not going to tell you about my hats yet because I already have people who are buying them without me <laughs> having to promote them. <laughs> I know. They're cool looking. <laughs> Thank you. All right. Thanks for listening, everybody. And here's episode 12 with my mama. You are listening to the Holy Cannoli podcast.
It's all about making sense of life, who we are, and why we're here. Life is sacred and life is strange. And here's our dad, Tony Gapastone. Check, check, one. Okay, here we are, part two. So where do you want to start this one? We just talked about so many things. <laughs> if you missed last week's, uh, we're here with my mom, my mamacita, my madre, my mama, yeah. ma, ma. Yeah. I love that. We're talking about experiencing God in strange ways. This is Holy Cannoli, and things got a little emotional on that uh, last podcast, but it's cool. The, the connecting tissue, connecting thread of God, his narrative is just ongoing. It's never ending. It's so deeply layered, so complex, so beautiful, even in the midst of pain. You shared a lot about uh, growing up in an abusive home, being disconnected with your biological mom and dad, being raised by grandparents, uh, getting pregnant outside of marriage, uh, then getting married and then contemplating abortion and then giving birth and uh, experiencing God. Um, amazing, amazing stuff. Um, where do you want to start now? What do you want to talk about? Well, when you were six years old, a phone call was made to my mother. And I hadn't seen my mother since I was six. And that was all started from when my sister visited her. And I was just like, I don't want anything to do with her. She left us. So I was pretty bitter about it. And it took a good year before I came to terms with meeting her, going out there. And I took you and your brother. Because you were in Chicago still at the time. Mm -hmm. And Grandma lived in California. Right. L.A. Mm -hmm. And uh, so we talked a couple of times on the phone. She goes, well, why don't you just come on out and visit? And I had just gone through um, the divorce with your dad. And... I guess it was just a time for me to reconnect with my mother, even though I was scared. And um, so I just went out there and... You went out there by yourself? No, you and your Oh, brother. we came with you. Okay. Yeah, 1981. Okay. And so you guys were two and six and went out there and it was really good. It was the beginning of a, a new relationship. And of course, I heard my mother's side of her story of why she left and it really, it was good. It was hard. It was emotional. It was, um, you know, because she had to, I pretty much told her, I said, I want you to spill your guts to me because I need it for me. And I think you need it for you. And um, so I remember in our house in L.A., we were like 2 o'clock in the morning sitting on the floor in our huge fancy bathroom and her bathroom. She, yeah, her bathroom. Why we were, in the bathroom? I don't know. We were getting ready for bed, and we were in there for hours. Huh. I don't know. Strange and sacred. My mother is. <laughs> she's all about her bathrooms. But anyway, was. Um, and so I remember her sitting on the floor, and she, like, broke down and cried. Hmm. Because, I mean, she was sad that she called her dad, and her dad picked her up from Chicago and left us in Chicago. Took her back out to California. It's funny because I always thought you were kidnapped or taken, not kidnapped, but taken from your mom in California to California, to Chicago. That's a different time. Oh. Yeah. Yeah. What? Okay, so my mother, when my sister was three months old, I was 18 months old. Grandpa Dan came to Chicago, took mother out back home to California. Come on, leave the girls here. Okay. And then... I was with my grandparents who raised me, and then I lived with my dad for a while, and I remember my dad calling my mother on the phone saying, I need you to take the girls for the summer. 
Oh. Because I need to get my feet on the ground. I really want to make this work with my new wife. And of course, my mother's like, of course. And my sister and I were like six, six and seven. I was seven. And she enrolled us in school, and it was great. We were there. And I remember walking in the playground at school, and I saw a teacher walking with a man. And I looked at the man, and I went, Daddy? And it was my dad. And I don't know how, but somehow he got me and my sister in the car, and he drove all the way from California to Chicago. And my this was 1962, and I guess that was before CPS or anything like that. And my mother was frantic and calling the police, and the police said he has legal custody of him. She was in the midst of trying to get custody of us with a lawyer, but it didn't work out. He had legal custody of us. She was just watching us for a few months. Mm. So, But I remember that, getting in the car, driving all the way back up to California to Chicago. Mm. And that's when I think she just made the decision of, she told me she flew back to Chicago to try and get us, and my grandfather said no. Your mom's dad, or which grandfather? No, my dad's dad, the one that raised me. Okay. And I guess there was, I don't know the whole story about, Yeah. you know. So, but that obviously hurt you in some way. You felt like she wasn't fighting for you potentially, or she could have done more to get you back. And then listening to negativity, mm-hmm. your mother this, your mother that, uh, your mother this, which is so hard in divorced families when moms or dads are pitting the kids against one another. It's hard to make sense. So good on you for being was it your twenty seven, twenty eight at the time, and you mm-hmm. call up your mom mm-hmm. and you reconcile, and you're in L A. and it's the beginning of your relationship with right. her. So then what happened? Well, our relationship continued. Mm-hmm. You know, I go up there twice a year and go visit her and, yeah, watching you and, you know, Grandma. Mm-hmm. I always Going. attribute my love for L.A. to Grandma Yeah. because she lived in L.A. and I think, you she know. She would take us everywhere. Yeah. Yeah. First About Museum, Venice Beach with Anchor. La Brea Tar Pits. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I loved that. I yeah. loved the fact that I had a grandma who lived in LA. It felt like posh to me and mm-hmm. I would get excited. That's when I first remember, I think being 10 ish at Venice beach with the trades, which are the, like, you know, variety or Hollywood reporter or whatever, reading these magazines about how to become, um, how to audition, how to get in, you know, into film and TV. I remember back then feeling a pull or draw to California. Uh, so that's, what's crazy is think about, now that I'm in California and in the film and TV you know, industry, and that's a passion for my life, I think uh, it's kind of interesting, a full circle. Well, think about it. She started that Larchmont mm-hmm. Chronicle on her dining room table. Mm. And it kind of reminds me how she took a big step of faith because she was hurt. Mm. She felt abandoned too. And not having her kids, you know, in her 20s. And so she told me that Grandma Joe said, Pull up your bootstraps and do something with your life. Stop whining about it. It was her mother, yes. Josephine. Yes. Mm-hmm. And so they lived with that, leaving you know the girls back in Chicago, and how Aunt Gail felt like mm-hmm. she was her really, sister. Mm-hmm. She was mad. There was two babies out there somewhere, and and even Aunt Gail said, "I'm never having kids." She mm-hmm. never did. Mm-hmm. So your aunt never had kids, but then you reconciled. With Grandma, who mm-hmm. also connected you with her sister, which was your Aunt Gail, and you mm-hmm. had this great relationship. Mm-hmm. So, you know, a huge part of my story is Grandma's, you know, Grandma was married how many times? One, two, three, four. 
She had one. Then see one before your James. dad. One before your dad, James. right? James. No. She, she was 17 when she married my dad. Oh, James, then one my other dad, person. And then Elle. Oh, and there you then, go. Um, Bobby and then Mickey. Mickey so four. Okay. Mm-hmm. So she was married four times. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that, you know, takes a toll on a person and a family. I mean, mm-hmm. divorce is never easy. Um, but her her last marriage to Mickey, who we call grandpa to granddad, mm-hmm. was um, great and they loved each other, and they even talked about, I remember like one time, I, they would always fly me down for uh, visits all the time. And like, They lived in this huge house in the San Diego Hills because she retired from her newspaper in L.A. You can look it up, uh, listeners. It's called the Larchmont Chronicle, and her partner, she sold her mm-hmm. um, her part of the, the business to her partner. Who, Jane, Jane, yeah, Jane Gilman, who still runs it to this day. No, I think she sold it. Oh, she did? Yeah, last year. Oh, okay. So it's still, it's right by uh, Paramount um, Mm -hmm. Pictures, Mm -hmm. which is cool, on Larchmont Avenue. And it's called the Larchmont Chronicle. And they're they're digital now, but it used to be paper. And my (laughs) grandma started right on her dining room table. But uh, they moved to the San Diego Hills, and they would bring me out. It was so fun. I loved it. And, you know, but I saw their deterioration as, as her husband, Mickey, had dementia mm-hmm. uh, for a couple of years. That really took a toll on grandma. Uh, I watched, you know, Mickey deteriorate. I watched grandma start to deteriorate a little bit too. She was mm-hmm. always fit, you know, doing yoga in her sixties and uh, walking and, Traveling. you know, you know, and did she ever get any, any, any work done on her face? Never. Never? No, wait. No, she did have her eyelids done. <laughs> I was going to say, yeah, she, she looked, she looked good for her age. But I always wondered, my, my wife, uh, Wendy always jokes that I never realized that grandma would dye her hair. I just always felt like, She's got good hair, but no, my Wendy would be like, um, she dyes it. <laughs> Dark red. But uh, she was just always about like being fit and toned, but she was 5'2". And three quarters. In heels, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, but she was a powerhouse. But uh, as her, the love of her life died, uh, she, I noticed she would be drinking a lot more when I would visit. She felt like she had nothing else to live yeah. for. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. And I was one of her go-tos. Like we, you know, I, this is part of my my challenge of being who I am and my personality. Uh, if you're an Enneagram follower, I'm a, a two, which is a helper, a two, three, a helper producer. So I like to help people, which that's why I became a pastor is I wanted to help people. But part of my, the thorns in my side are I need to learn how to step back a little bit. I can't save the world. I can't save people. And that was really hard for me because I would want to help her. And sometimes she could be really stubborn. Like she could be a biatch. <laughs> She could, Grandma, you're a biatch. Sorry, but that's true. I beg your pardon. <laughs> I, but the drinking got out of hand. I would feel uncomfortable mm-hmm. at her house at times because the drinking was way too much. And uh, I did, you know, back then even I was a little bit even more immature in my faith. I, I drink now, uh, you know, not to excess, but I drink with responsibility. But back then I couldn't even equate like responsible drinking as being. Uh, a healthy thing, let alone unresponsible drinking. I felt like they were both the same, but grandma way went past the line anyway. And so there would be times when I would try to talk to her and she would just be like falling down and slurring her speech and falling asleep on the couch. And uh, and then she'd be saying things about her life that she had no purpose. And I'm trying to pray for her and read scripture to her and help her. And she would call me on the phone and say, I just don't think there's anything worth living for my grandma. I need you in my life. I need you to be alive. Your daughters need you. Your grandchildren, your great-grandchildren need you. Those are my children. Your great-grandchildren need you. And 
uh, everything got flipped upside the head on um, October 2012. October 14th. 2012. Mm -hmm. I got a phone call because I was her DNR. I was her do not resuscitate on her um, end of life wishes. I got a phone call from... I don't know if it was San Diego General Hospital or whatever, whatever it was. Like, hello, Mr. Gapastone. Like, yes. Um, we have uh, Don Goodwin McCullough with a self-inflicted gunshot. And you're her DNR. Do we have your permission to take her off life support, life-sustaining measure? I mean, I remember it like it was yesterday. I was in my driveway walking up. To, to my house after a worship gathering and I just fell to my knees. It was, I didn't even like, what, who is this? And I can't even tell you it's so blurry after that. I, I mean, I, I think I said I needed to make some other phone calls because it was so confusing. There was, I had aunts calling me, you calling me, her, Jackie, her best friend, Jackie. And then there was a connection with her living, um, Gloria. caretaker and all that stuff. I mean, it was, such a mess. I couldn't even, I can't, but that whole next week or two where we all flew out together and then family were trying to make sense of it and it was painful. Yeah, that's, it's still kind of like a big blur. Mm -hmm. It's going to be six years this October. Yeah. And I'll be real honest, I'm still a little angry at her. Yeah. Which is part of the grieving. Mm -hmm. But, um, yeah. I remember it seemed just like time was standing still for mm. after we got the news. I don't remember packing. I don't remember flying out there. I mean, it's just like time stands still and you're trying to make sense of it. And, um, you know, it's just, I mean, I remember my husband saying, honey, I'm, I'm just so sorry. I, I, I know how this feels because he lost a brother through suicide. And I'm like, I just don't get it because, you know, we think that, Oh, everyone's got it together. They make so much money. They live in a big, beautiful house. And she was really lonely. Mm -hmm. And we all reached out to her. But she had that window of being alone, a 24-hour window of being alone because her caretaker left. And, mm -hmm. I mean, we don't, you know. But we know she knew God. Mm -hmm. She was just done. Mm -hmm. She just wanted to be done. Mm-hmm. Do you still feel anger? Yeah, a little bit, I do. Mm -hmm. You know, because she's missing out. Mm -hmm. And so are we. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And like, we laugh now, and, you know, we talk about, you know, a show that we watch and how Jane Fonda reminds us of her. And, mm -hmm. you know, yeah, we can still laugh, but, you know. It's painful. It is painful. And it always probably will be painful. Maybe the pain will lessen. The pain will always be there because that wasn't how it was supposed to be. Mm -hmm. I think, you know, I hate the word suicide so much, but suicide was never meant to be part of God's plan. Mm -hmm. But I've come to, and there's many differing voices on this, um, but I'm confident in this, as a, confident as I am in God's grace and his fullness and his depth of love. She's with him, mm -hmm. not because she deserved to be with him, because mm -hmm. none of us do anything to deserve or earn his love, but because his love covers everything. His love is good and forgiving and graceful, even to that. What, what has moved me in this journey is 
understanding the complexity of one's mind um, who comes to that decision. I've heard many times that suicide, taking one's life is selfish. And I think I used to think that a lot, like it is selfish. Like that's, you're thinking about yourself. You're not thinking about anybody else. And that does produce anger and it's okay to be angry. It's mm-hmm. okay. Your anger is, is warranted. I still get angry, but I heard something recently and I can't even tell you who to give the credit to, but it's not me. It's not original to me, but I heard this and it really made sense is maybe it could help us if we look at the person not as being selfish, but as being hopeless. If you are at the point of taking your life, you feel that there's no hope left. There's nothing, there's not a reason to live. And it's not that you are so focused on yourself that you're taking your life. It's that you have no, you can't focus on anything but the pain in your life. And so some might call it selfish, but I go, no, it makes sense. Hopeless. You are hopeless. But I've done enough memorials for people who have taken their life. And I've done enough processing about grandmas. And I had, you know, my good friend, John, who took his life in, um, 2000, I have come to understand the complexity of God's grace over this, over everything that we consider sin. And there are people who say, I had someone tell me, because I talked about heaven in a large worship gathering panel discussion one time, and I talked about my perspective on this, and I had someone come to me, and it was just the rudest, one of the rudest things I ever have experienced. And this is something, listeners, please take note. If someone in your life commits suicide and if someone you know um, commits suicide or that you're somehow removed the worst thing you can ever talk about is that person's afterlife or eternity that's none of your business you are not the judge of that person's afterlife or eternity and to say something like this person said to me like you don't know if your grandma's in hell because that's um this person said wait this person said um it's oh you need to tell people that your grandma could be in hell because that should scare other people from taking their lives. Ooh. Like that's the worst thing you could say to me or to anyone. And we don't need to use fear. Do I want people taking their lives? By no means. But do I want to scare people into not taking their lives? Not a, no, that's the wrong solution to that thing, to that problem as well. So it's complex. We we're we, we won't say the right things, but we can definitely know that we're going to say the wrong thing. It's better to say nothing, nothing and just sit with the person and say, I'm sorry. I'm here. I, I'm praying. I love you. I know this is hard. Just say, I know this is hard. I know this is awful. I'm sorry. You do not need to say anything. And I'm sorry I'm being so strong on this, but I've experienced one too many people mm-hmm. you know, in my own life, let alone in those I've supported and pastored through the years that have gone through extra pain because of the stupid things that people say. Let God be God. Mm -hmm. Let God love people and comfort people and minister to people. It's six years after she took her life and we're still processing. Yes, We're still dealing. Mm -hmm. We're still trying to make sense and we probably never will make sense. Mm -hmm. You know what's interesting is that when we were in her home, I mean, that's why I wrote the script, this feature film, The Thorns on Our Side. I, I wrote it as a therapy, as a therapeutic vessel for me to process my grandmother's suicide. Mm -hmm. I wrote what I wish could have happened. I wrote what I think might have been going on in her world, maybe. But at her bedside were two things. Do you remember what they were? A Time magazine. And on the cover, it said, is heaven real? Mm -hmm. And the other thing I don't remember. Her Bible. Oh, her Bible. Her Bible. Mm -hmm. Her Bible and the Time magazine about heaven being real. Mm -hmm. That is crazy. 
I believe that she's in heaven. Mm-hmm. I do too. Mm-hmm. And people could scoff at that and go, that's a crutch and I don't care. <laughs> but uh, one of the, one of the things that sticks out of my mind is I was at a memorial for a student that I was loosely connected to who took his life and his dad did a marvelous um, memoriam for him, but he did this great scenario with Jesus and I steal it um, when I do uh, memorials for this awful thing that happens. Um, I, I say the same thing that he said. He said, um, when his son saw Jesus for the first time, he said, welcome. He came before I had planned, but welcome. I'm so glad you're here. I had so much more for you to do, but I'll just pour it into your friends and your family and they can continue the work that I had planned for you. I love that. You came before I was, I had planned, wow. but welcome. That's powerful. Mm-hmm. Cause that just talks about the grace of Jesus. There's nothing that separates us from the love of God. That's what Corinthians says. Nothing. Romans 8 too. Wait, did I, did I get that wrong? Romans 8, 28. Oh yeah, you're right. You're right. Yeah. Boom. My mom correcting me. I love it. <laughs> you spoke that at her funeral. Did I? And it was awesome because so many people came up mm-hmm. and said, my husband did that or my brother did oh, that. Gosh, and they yeah. had so many questions and they were so comforted because of they you we talked about things that people don't want to talk about it mm-hmm. they mm-hmm. want to sweep it underneath the carpeting and mm-hmm. we can't mm-hmm. so so yeah listeners if this is something that uh, hits you in some way uh, i hope you know if it's triggering you please reach out for help please make your pain known let someone sit with you and also be able to tell someone that they're not being helpful. I think that's really important. I, I, that you're not being, I, that person I referenced earlier, I said, you know what? I'm done with this conversation. I'm going to end it here because these words, uh, first of all, I don't receive them. And, and two, they're not being helpful. So goodbye. I, it was hard, but I, I had to do that. Uh, I will be as public and as forthright and bold about this. And I think you're right. Uh, Every time I've been able to share and speak about God's grace in any context, but in this delicate of sensitive situations, I've had people say, I needed to hear that. Mm-hmm. I've been carrying this pain and this guilt. I mean, so many parents, so many children. I mean, I don't know if you have any guilt, but I carried a little guilt going, I could have done something different. I could have reached out, but no, I couldn't. It's not your fault. There's mm-hmm. nothing you could have done to change this. Um, I hope I can continue to change people's lives and convince them to, to, to live their life and to live a, and to know that they have something worth living for. But when someone takes their life, we can never be inside their brain. We can never understand why. Well, I have found that when people say the things like, how do you know she's in heaven and that what she did was wrong. And all I say is, no, I know she's in heaven because our God is too merciful. He is too great. He's love. And he knew her pain, and he knew she was going to do that. Mm-hmm. So who are we to, like you mm-hmm. said, who are we to judge? Mm-hmm. And no one has that right. Mm-hmm. And like I love that line where you said, "It's really none of your business. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's God's business." Yeah. But we love being the judge, though. I mean, we love judging people for uh, their sexuality. We love judging people for their language. We love judging people for what they wear. We love judging people for who they date. I mean, this is totally on the 
<laughs> opposite end of this conversation, but I remember one time I was working out in a gym in a hotel because we were visiting uh, my in-laws in Southern California and I was reading a magazine while I was working out huffing puffing and there was a, a article on the Kardashians <laughs> and I remember thinking something judgmental like you always hear like oh, who, who are these famous people what are they famous for they don't do anything and I remember hearing the voice of God what do you say these are my creations I made them and I love them and I remember feeling so convicted. God, I am so sorry. We talk about on this podcast, how do we hear from God? And you know, our podcast number one, you shared about how you heard from God and this kind of narrative of God speaking. But I think if we were open to listening to God, we're not always going to hear, this is what your life is about, or do this, or we will hear over and over and over and over. Oh, Kleenex. I realized you have had my orange glasses on the whole time. Way to go, Mom. You told me to wear them. Yeah, she's wearing my orange, yellow tinted glasses. But if we are open to hear from God, we will hear over and over and over these simple words. I love you. I love you. And I love you. that person. And I love that person. And I love that person. The person that you hate, the person that hurt you, the person that abused you. That's what's really hard. Ooh. The person you're, you hate, you're so ticked off that you want God to strike down <laughs> with lightning. God will say, well, I love her. I love him. So let's talk about that. And let's let that love that I have for you and for the world mold you and melt you and embrace you and let that love change you. That's the holy cannoli. <laughs> That's the experiencing God's sacredness in the strangest places. Well, after my grandmother having the last word passing away on that day in 1985, I made it a mission that I'm like, I need to go talk to my grandpa. And he was 92-ish when he passed, but I saw him twice at the assistant living. And I hadn't seen him in, oh my gosh, well, 1970, what, 20 years. And, and I don't think I ever met him. This is your, Mish. your he's your, your grandpa. He was your step-grandpa, but you called him grandpa. Yeah. He would have been my great-grandfather. Right. And I never really knew him. And, um... I walked into the assistant living. It was like the Ritz, downtown Chicago. And um, he was just sitting in like a library. And I walked in and he kind of looked at me, you know, and I sat there and it was very emotional. And I had pictures of us when I was a kid and how he would take us to the Chicago Cubs game all the time on Easter Sunday of all days. Mm -hmm. And um, and I just said, uh, I apologize to him for not, you know, staying in touch with him and he acted like he hadn't seen me in two weeks. Hmm. And to me, that was like, and he was a believer in God, but he was Jewish. Mm -hmm. And when I talked to him about Jesus, he's like, he pulled me aside. He goes, I believe in God. <laughs> I do believe in God, but that Jesus guy. And I went, <laughs> well, well, you think about it, though. And then we went up to his apartment. He gave me some ties for you. And the second time I saw him, he goes, so tell me some more about this Jesus. Wow. And that, to me, was... I was grateful that I, I made that meeting with him because mm -hmm. I, you know, and then when he passed away, I have peace about it mm -hmm. because he wanted to know more about Jesus. Mm -hmm. And he goes, but I'm Jewish. And I'm like, mm -hmm. so is Jesus. So is Jesus. <laughs> so is Jesus. It's chosen people. And he goes, we are? I said, yes. So let's circle back and end the podcast. We briefly touched on, you said you came to know Jesus at, 
when I, in 1977, when I was two. Mm-hmm. And then when I was 17 or 18, I started asking questions about Jesus because I was intrigued. And I started asking you questions like, where, where are you with God? And what then happened? That was in Poplar Grove. Yeah, in and Illinois. You yeah. Were, yeah, you were hanging out with um, Jason, Jason and Rob Yates. Yep. Yep. And that's when you came home and you need to let Jesus out of the closet. <laughs> Quit being a closet Christian. Jesus was in the closet in yeah, your life. And so I was like, what? So, um, I was pretty radical and zealous. Yeah. I'm sorry. In some yeah. ways, I was a little right. over the top. <laughs> but anyway, um, and that's, you know, chasing after God quietly and not letting anyone know. And I feel that I didn't really talk about God a lot because I didn't want the rejection from people because mm. I had enough rejection. Mm. But, you know, it's kind of like a standing joke that I guess I had to move to Texas to really find what You had to go to the Bible Belt. That's ah, where sure Jesus did. lives is in sure Texas, did. right? Yep, there's church building on every corner. Uh-huh. So you, would you say, I mean, I don't want to press you. You know, I'm not trying to put you in the corner. Don't put baby in the corner. Uh, did you feel like you really knew God? Or was it just you knew God but didn't know him well? Or you were kind of aware and maybe not as deeply interested? Oh, I mean, no. I mean, I was a baby Christian. Mm-hmm. I think I finally realized when I started do I moved to Texas and I met Teresa, my friend, and and I prayed about I wanted to go into the juvenile prisons and just talk about God and my husband's like, What? Wait, wait, yeah, no, no, no. And I said, No, I really feel this is what God wants me to do. And then I did the juvenile prison ministry and then I had the dream about Africa and I called you. But I think I had to go all the way to Africa to hear God say, <laughs> oh my gosh. no kidding, you know, there's kids in your own neighborhood. Mm. Feed my sheep where you live. Yeah, so let's let's get to that. So we love talking about how we hear from God. I really want my listeners to wrestle with this. Do you hear from God? Is God speaking to you? I would say he's always speaking to us. Mm-hmm. God, this voice, the universe, the creator, the spirit, uh, is speaking, and if we're open to hearing him, we will hear him. Now, you've heard him many different times, and you shared all these different elements, but you heard him in Africa say something about how you're going to be following after him in Texas. Yeah. You know, the kids in Africa, I mean, come mm-hmm. on now. Let's not go there. It's emotional. It's, wow, greatest experience we, of so my we went, life. So we went to Malawi together. 2002. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. And those kids there impacted us, me, Mm -hmm. because they had nothing. And they had so much joy. They were happy. They had nothing. And that's when I heard God again. They have me. Mm -hmm. That's why they're happy. They know they can't take me away. Mm -hmm. And it was was my aha, wow moment Mm -hmm. in life. And that's when I came home, and I'm like, we need to do more for God. Mm-hmm. We need to do more, but just, you know, we had no kids in the house when Greg and I were married, you know. And and then we just started praying and going to services and met a couple that had 10 kids in their house. I'm like, what? <laughs> and we became foster parents, and over 15 years had 60 kids come through our house. 60 kids have been through your house? Yeah. Wow. Yeah. So wait, do you want to say your age? I'll be 65 in July, baby. So this is probably going to come out right around that time. So you're 65 years old Mm -hmm. and you um, have a 40, how old am I? I'm 43. 
the time this is coming out, um, you have a 43-year-old, but your youngest child is... Eight. <laughs> so from eight years old to 43 years old, you've had 60 foster children through your home, but you adopted how many? Uh, eight. So you have eight adopted children who have your last name. Well, two... Yeah, they're... Yeah, we're not legally adopted because of um, Native American, but our core family is... Because of Native American? Well, well. Anthony and Brandon. I know, but what about Native American? Well, it's a big rigmarole when you you can't adopt Native American before going to the tribe and asking permission. Oh, okay. Yeah, that's a big thing. But um, our core family is 12 kids. That's kind of cool, though. They could keep their their tribe. That's cool. So 12 kids from 8 to 43. Mm Mm-hmm. I like saying that. People go, what? You got 12 kids? <laughs> Legally, I do. On paper, I do. Sure but you only cut out two. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> ah, that's yep. good. Yeah. So. Well, it's awesome. Um, I, when I tell your, your story, I think, you know, we could talk for hours more, but you, you felt abandoned. You were dealing with rejection. You had dealt with your own sense of rejecting and abandoning others as well. And then the circle, the story is full circle where then you are embraced, you sense the embrace of God, you're reconciled with your biological children. Mm-hmm. You then get this new, the second wind of parenting. When you, I always joke like you could be, we have the same age children. You could be retired. You I could know. be living in a hammock and drinking mimosas. That's boring. But instead yeah. you are adopting and caring for children and continuing to give and pour out to others. You get a, you got a second and third and a fourth chance to be a mom. I'll get it right one day. <laughs> <laughs> I went back to school as a joke. You know how hard college is. Yeah, and you went back to school. You dropped yeah. out of you never went to college as yeah. a as a teen well, or maybe one semester. But then you went back when you were in your fifties. It's all showing you. That's awesome. And now you're a social worker. Yeah, and I have sixty five kids on my caseload. In my own community. How cool is that? That's awesome. It is very cool. Way to go. You're a living... I love my town. It needs a lot of help. Yeah. Let's do skills training today. Do you know Jesus? Let's talk about Jesus first. Okay. Uh, You're perfect for that. All right. We're going to end with some rapid fire questions. Uh Uh-oh. Yep. Ready? First thing that comes out of your your head, okay? Here we go. What are you binge watching or what are you watching on TV that you're experiencing God in some way? Hmm, that's a hard one. I don't get much time to watch TV, but when I binge watch it's Grace and Frankie. Talk about Grace and Frankie. How do you experience God? Grace and Frankie. Netflix show, Jane Fonda and what's her name? Lily Tomlin. And they uh-huh. say people, you look like Lily Tomlin. I'm like, oh, great. Don't they sell um, vibrators on that show? Yeah, it's horrible. It's a horrible show. <laughs> I experienced God with the vibrating selling show. But it's just so funny. Okay, yeah. so that makes you experience God in some way? No, no. Holy no. cannoli? But you somehow relive things with your mom or something you said. Jane Fonda is my mother all over, and it makes me laugh. Okay. You know that. Uh-huh. Uh, what's something... Uh, have you ever cried in your car? And what, I cry what? in my car a lot when I miss my grandkids. Mm. I get, I'm a mush ball. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Do my grandkids, my kids make you cry in your car? When I miss them, yeah. <laughs> Silly. Okay, what's the other questions that I ask? Um, oh, s- strangest place you've experienced God and how and why? Strangest 
strangest place. I don't know. Strangest place. Um, well, no, but always in my shower. I guess because I'm alone and naked the way I came in the world. <laughs> That's a good one. It's true. Leave me alone. I'm tater shower. Close the door. And last question. Answer in a word or a sentence or two. Who are you and why are you here? I'm a cheerleader. I'm an encourager. I'll get you up. I'll make you feel better about yourself. It's my job. I guess because I didn't have that growing up. <laughs> I don't know. But yeah. That's good, Mom. <laughs> Thanks for being on Holy Cannoli. Holy Cannoli. I want a cannoli right now. <laughs> I know. I want one too. <laughs> All right, my mom is on um, social media and stuff, and I love that half of my friends uh, are your friends on social media. What's your name? Do you want to shout out your, your handle? My handle, Robin Zitko. R-O-B-I-N-Z-I-T-K-O. All right. Thanks, Mom, for being on Holy Cannoli. I love it. Love you. Love you. Bye. Go ahead, when you're ready. Okay. So I was just telling Tony that after I listened to this podcast, I was struck by the fact that Robin, you know, has kind of a tough story um, when you think about the abuse that she experienced that we heard about in the last episode and going back and forth between her parents and grandparents. And I just don't really get a sense of like bitterness towards her mom. Mm -hmm. I feel like she really, I, I mean, she obviously had to go out there and, um, pursue a relationship and reconciliation with her. And she mentioned being angry about her mom's suicide, but you don't get the sense that like she held that, mm. um, bitterness against her, mm -hmm. her whole life. And mm -hmm. so I just wish she was here and we could talk more about how did she work through that process mm -hmm. of, coming to terms with her story, coming to forgiveness, I'm assuming, um, for different aspects of her life mm -hmm. and how she turned into, you know, a woman who gives back and loves on her community and mm -hmm. the people around her and, you know, healed. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think it'd be interesting to talk to my mom. I mean, one thing I will say, and we've had to work through this too, you know, that growing up under a, a parent who's had such pain, I would say like trauma, like my mom was yeah. traumatized. Yeah. Uh, you know, the challenging part of that is you don't realize you're traumatized, right? You're trying to mm -hmm. go through life and you're trying to make sense of life, but there's something that's off. And I just say as a, you know, as an adult who looks back, one of the things that I thought was just really difficult, you know, is I could tell my mom carried around this pain, you mm -hmm. know, and at times I think in my unhealth, I tried to carry it for her and with her. And that wasn't really my job. And I always give my mom credit because she did the best that she could. I love her. And we mm -hmm. had to work through some challenging and, you know, things that I had to forgive her for too. And we're at a really good place mm -hmm. to do that, but it was hard because I think even as an adult now, I'm still learning what it looks like to let other people be responsible for their lives. Like I, 
you know, there's that idea of being responsible for somebody mm-hmm. and then being responsible to somebody. And I had to learn that through my own counseling and my own, mm-hmm. you know, master's work of doing, you know, seminary and recognizing, wow, I think in the, the, the growing up, you know, space that my brother and I lived under as a kid, you go, you don't know how to make sense of that. You think something's wrong with you or you think you're to blame for whatever, if it's divorce or your, your, your parents' sadness. Now, that was a, a tough time. So mm-hmm. although I'm so glad that um, there's no bitterness, I, I want to be realistic with listeners and go, there's still like, there's pain. You know, I know my mm-hmm. mom has pain. Uh, we all have pain. Mm-hmm. There's still even division in our family because of some of the things that happen around the suicide and uh, mm-hmm. how people processed it. It's a painful, painful time. But I give her such credit for like the best of her ability. She survived. Mm-hmm. And more than just now surviving, she's trying to thrive. And she's got these kids. And I can't, I don't understand. I told her, Mom, why aren't you retired? Did I say that? <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. I'm like, I can't even, I just <laughs> blows my mind because... When I'm 50 something, <laughs> you're already counting the days of being retired. <laughs> it's not like I want to sit on a beach and like, you know, look at my toes in sand and put selfie, you know, toe selfies out there. First of all, Thank don't you. do toe selfies, toe Thank selfies, you. toesies. No, Get, <laughs> stop the freaking toe <laughs> pictures in sand. Uh, I, I, I just, you know, I, I'm tired. <laughs> I love my children. <laughs> um, but I can't, I'm a, yeah, my mom's a superstar. So yeah. any other post Okay. I just, um, towards the end of the podcast, you talked about your mom having kids from eight ranging in age from eight years old to 43 and how she had the second wind and she's had 60 foster kids coming through her doors and she's adopted. She Mm -hmm. said 12 are like part of her family family. Mm -hmm. Um, so how does that feel for you? Mm It's been hard, I think, for me. You know, there's that human side that, like, wow, like, that's my mom. She's my mom first. <laughs> you know, if I'm honest, that's the, that weird type of feeling yeah. that I didn't also get to see a lot of her life, you know. So when I, I moved out of the house when I was 17 and my mom had uh, been, you know, going through her second divorce and then she got remarried a third time. And then her life just was changed and she wasn't even in the same state as me. So those are some of the hard times. Like I just lost my mom, Mm. but I look back and go, what she got to experience was a second opportunity to be a mom, you know, Mm. because both my brother and I, we missed a lot of that part of our, our childhood and she missed that part of her motherhood. So Mm. I I think God is cool. When you say she missed it, Mm -hmm. it was just, she was working a lot. And in and out of a couple of relationships. So well, that was yeah, she was working a lot, but, but when I was 17, uh, she was, you know, gone from my life mm-hmm. because she, you know, she was in a difficult marriage and she had to leave. And, you know, that's a whole other story that, you know, that she should be able to tell at some point if she wants. Uh, and my brother was 13, so she wasn't in his life at that time, you know, and that's a whole really challenging thing to think about. Like she missed a lot of our mm. teen, teenage life, mm. you know, uh, and she didn't get a chance to be a mother to a, you know, teenager and a young 20 something. And I was just kind of, you know, raised by the church at that point. You yeah. Know? So that's what I mean. Like she missed out on that, but now she got to recover 
and get a second opportunity, third opportunity, fourth opportunity to be a mom of many, many kids. And I think that's really cool. I think something is, you know, satisfied in her. God gave her something that she lost. And she, I think she knows that and sees that as a way like this is a way that she can redeem part of her life. Mm -hmm. You know, I think I'm very proud of her. Proud of you, mom, as you listen to this. Mm -hmm. I love you. And we all have a story. I mean, I'm, you know, our kids are going to have to go through therapy for something (laughs) too. Like we are not perfect people. We're not perfect humans. And I hope as we, you know, anything, of this podcast, the reality of life is sacred and life is strange is that we hurt each other. We need to say, I'm sorry. And we need to look each other in the eye and say, I could have done better. I could have done, uh, done you better. I could have done something different and I did it and I'm sorry. And I hope you can forgive me. And sometimes those words mean that we can be restored. And sometimes it means that we just go, I forgive you, but I can't be in relationship with you. And I have that with some people in my family. Unfortunately, it's tough. Like we just can't, it's just too toxic, but I'm glad that with my mom, we were able to connect and have a great relationship. Mm -hmm. And then, I mean, the story that your life took and that your brother's life took, you can see how God provided for you and gave you a place to live and people that were, you know, a part of your twenties in mm-hmm. significant formative ways. Mm-hmm. And it'll be cool to hear you talk to your brother mm-hmm. on a future podcast mm-hmm. and hear his story <laughs> and how he, um, came to be who he is. Yeah. Yeah. I don't, and yeah. Chris, my brother and I have a great relationship. We text, you know, a, a lot during the week and, you know, talk probably once a week or every other week. And we're four years apart and he's got three kids. I have three kids and, we spent a lot of time apart, you know, cause when I was 17, he was 13. I left and it was, that was tough. I regret that I left. That's a whole nother part of my story mm-hmm. too. I left him, but I was just at a scared place and needy place. And I, you know, I lived in my car for like a week, mm. you know, cause I had like the ABC after school special climbing out of my window with a garbage bag with my belongings <laughs> to get out of the house that I was staying in because it wasn't safe. I didn't feel safe, mm. but I left him, you know, at 13. So yeah, we'll talk about that at some point. I'm great and grateful that we have a restored relationship. My dad and I are in a relationship and, um, we're all trying to work it out and figure it out and be mature adults. <laughs> and all the Holy Cannoli listeners get to be a part <laughs> of Thanks, how, you guys. how this story unfolds. It's like I'm sitting on a, um, a therapist couch and all of you get to listen to my problems. <laughs> mm. All right. right. So tune. Oh, you guys next week, 13 episode 13. I am going to be interviewing a amazing theologian, a guy who wrecked me in seminary, literally. And I'll tell you more about that next week, but he's going to change the way you think about the Bible. Stay tuned. Sweet. Thanks for listening to Holy Cannoli. If you liked my dad's podcast, please subscribe. Give it a review and share it with someone you think would be encouraged by it.